Topic of our Demodonk Kretnia this evening is meeting objects or formations with equanimity. And certainly this certainly Demodonk Kretnia then you know, connects certainly with the earlier Demodonk Kretnia given on Monday evening about certain equanimity. And that talk was about equanimity in general. Now, meeting formations certainly with certain equanimity is certainly something you know, that certainly concerns us, certainly, first of all, in you know, the meditation practice, but at a later point may also you know, concern us uh, uh, outside of a retreat. Now, the Visuddhimagga, the path of Thirtnir purification in its certain 20th chapter, 21st chapter, paragraph Thirtnir 61, has certain important reflections on this meeting objects with equanimity. Namely, it says that after a meditator has certain seen formations over and over and over again, in the light of uh, the three universal characteristics of impermanence, anicca, of unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, and of uh, near the absence of a self, anatta, near then near one becomes certain equanimous near, with regard towards certain those certain formations. And so one then no longer takes them as I or mine. And an illustration from you know, that same you know, passage of you know, the Visuddhimagga you know, should uh, make you know, this point really clear. Now, suppose, and I'm slightly adjusting the illustration here, suppose a woman were married to a lovely and a you know, rather handsome husband of a desirable character and so deeply in love with him as to be unbearable to unable to bear the separation from him for a moment and she would certainly be disturbed and displeased to see him standing or sitting or talking or laughing with another woman and would be very unhappy. But later on, when our a woman had certainly found out near the, her husband's certain faults or partner's certain faults and certainly wanting to get free and she would certainly divorce him. And certainly she then would no more take him as what? She would no longer take him as what? And hers. There you go. And so, so the sense of possession then with this, with the divorce, certainly falls away. And certainly after this certain major cut or after this certain separation, then even though she would certainly see him doing whatever it certainly might certainly be, yet she would certainly not necessarily be disturbed or displeased anymore, but rather on the other hand, on, on the contrary, she would become rather equanimous about him and his doings. Likewise, for meditators, meditators who, uh, after having seen the formations over and over and over again, having discovered their you know, flaws, their various certain flaws, and wanting you know, to break free from those certain same formations, and having you know, then 
observe them again closely with this as a meditator one no longer takes those same formations to be I or mine and with this as a meditator one then also abandons fear and delight in those certain formations and or one simply abandons certain fear and delight and becomes rather equanimous and neutral towards all formations now this uh, seeing formations and in a neutral way as no or in a way that we are no longer identifying with them has certain several meanings and so a meditator then usually understands that suddenly there is no myself. A meditator then may also come to understand that there is suddenly nothing belonging to myself, nor is there another self, nor is there anything belonging to another self. Now, to give you another uh, very practical mm, illustration for uh, this gradual uh, development of uh, or meeting formations with uh, equanimity. So, while we are here uh, together uh, at Sutna the Forest, Sutna Refuge, under you know, going uh, and you know, retreat of intensive meditation, and Satna Sun will be here you know, not just you know, for the month but you know, for you know, several you know, months in a you know, row. So they've started earlier and you know, they will you know, leave at a you know, later point, and Satna you know, then there will be others who stay just for you know, the month, and then there will be you know, those who you know, come and Satna you know, join maybe. You know, just for half of you know, the retreat, others maybe for you know, just you know, seven days, and maybe yet others for even less you know, than this. Now, when one practices you know, together in a group you know, like this, well, even though you know, we're not you know, speaking you know, much you know, to you know, one another, yet a certain familiarity with this person, with that person, does arise. And somewhat feeling close to one another. And actually, on a longer retreat, quite strong bonds may arise, and those suddenly then may last for long, long after an intensive retreat. Now, in the past, it has certainly happened that certainly some meditators, upon seeing another, upon seeing an empty spot in the hall, and so a strong reminder of of emptiness, um, and then realizing, oh, another meditator has gone, another of my spiritual friends. Then what happens? Oh, one feels sad, yes. One might certainly feel sad about certainly the person who just left, and certainly even worse than this, some meditators have even shed some tears. Now, if one then over time experiences the or sees one meditator leave, or, or let's say one meditator coming and another meditator leaving, again someone is coming, another one is leaving, etc. Then one gradually gets the point that there is a flow of meditators arriving, but there's also a flow of meditators leaving for various reasons. 
and uh, you know, mostly because uh, you know, their time is up, they have to go you know, back to it, you know, work, etc. And so, you know, with this then, um, a change in you know, attitude, a change in you know, our you know, relationship to you know, f you know, the situation uh, takes certain place. And you know, one realizes, well, this is bound to happen, and then the mind gradually starts uh, you know, you know, relating to it in a more equanimous manner. So in the meditation practice, it is pretty much the same thing. So after having observed physical and various physical and mental formations a hundred thousand times or even more, we get somewhat less emotional about them. And so with you know, this, you know, we you know, will you know, not be affected as much you know, by them as you know, was you know, the case in you know, the past. And you know, with this, you know, then the mind you know, tends to you know, retreat, you know, retract, and recoil you know, from you know, formations. And so two possibilities, or the Visuddhimagga states two possibilities, namely that one either goes into a state of equanimity, and if one fails to, or if this does not happen, then a state of repulsiveness is likely to arise. A different term for this would be disenchantment. So one gets disenchanted with formations. If, however, the equanimity has been has become quite certainly strong and certainly is certainly well established in the stream of certainly consciousness, then um, it may happen that uh, the mind certainly then uh, uh, experiences you know, for the first time ever the peace of Nibbana. However, if it does not certainly yet experience that certain piece of Nibbana, then it will go on observing formations over and over and over again. Now, there is a beautiful <coughs> illustration for, <coughs> sorry, for this particular aspect in one's certain meditation practice, namely that of the sailor's land-finding crow. So at the time of the Buddha, well, a compass didn't, or radar didn't exist, and then merchants who when certain on a long you know, maritime you know, journey on a, on an ocean going ship you know, they had uh, they and certain especially the crew you know, had certain to you know, rely on other you know, ways of you know, finding uh, their way now practically you know, once in a while it certainly would happen that due to a strong gale, a ship, or the ship would be blown off course, and certainly then no one would know anymore in which direction to go. And certainly it was for this particular condition that certainly the crew would certainly bring so a so-called land-finding crow, or maybe even several of those, along onto the ship uh, before embarking on the journey. Now, 
In the case of Furtner having been blown off Furtner course, the crew then would certainly release this certain land-finding crow and it would rise way up into the sky. And certainly then, flying around, and suddenly flying maybe uh, in, a, in one direction, flying into another direction, uh, etc. And suddenly, eventually, you know, the crow you know, would uh, land back you know, on you know, uh, the ship's mast. Namely, you know, for you know, the case that it uh, you know, wouldn't uh, have you know, spotted land at you know, the horizon. Should, however, the crow see land somewhere at a great certain distance, then it would, with much confidence, go in that certain direction into flight towards that quarter and certainly then not return to the ship anymore. Now, the crew would keep a close eye on the movements of this land-finding crow and would certainly then gather that land certainly can be or is to be found in the direction the crow was certainly taking off and certainly then reorienting the ship it would eventually then land on or would come across land. And certainly, so in the meditation practice, this change, this crossing over from observing mundane or observing conditioned formations to a state of experiencing the unconditioned of Nibbana, this is not an easy undertaking. And certainly one may try, or the mind will try it the first time and not succeed, and then try a second time and still not succeed, and maybe try a third time and many more times, and certainly may still not succeed. And it is certain in a case like this that one just needs to be very patient and certainly keep observing the predominant certain formations over and over again. And gradually the mind then will reshape itself or bring itself into a proper shape and suddenly then when the proper conditions are there the peace of Nibbana actually is suddenly seen. Now the Visuddhimaga in its 21st chapter describes several important phases in this regard. Namely it says that, first of all, one has to you know, discern formations in the various modes. And the modes of what? Anicca, Dukkha, Dhanatta, as stated earlier on. Exactly. And please do know that if one has certain discerned formations only in a superficial manner as being subject to Nanicca, Dukkha, Dhanatta, then it will not work. Now, another important phase is that a meditator no longer be plagued by both um, well, fear and certain delight. And certainly so that one has abandoned these certain two. And certainly this will be explained in a moment a bit more. And then the third major aspect is 
that certainly the mind has become pretty uh, equanimous and neutral uh, in the investigation of formations. So, do know that this becoming equanimous and neutral about certain investigation or in the investigation of formations undergoes degrees. And so, so at first there will be just very little of it, and then uh, gradually you know, there'll be more and more of it, and certainly uh, later on you know, it's uh, almost uh, um, it's you know, there almost all the time. And it's only when you know, these certain you know, three major conditions have been you know, fulfilled uh, that you know, the mind you know, will uh, ultimately you know, then uh, go uh, into, um, or, or uh, that it will pass through you know, one of you know, those doors of you know, liberation. Now, The deeper the meaning of abandoning the fear and certain delight is uh, as certain follows. Namely, earlier on in the practice, one gets certain thrown from one opposite to the next. And so one gets thrown from a state of sadness to a state of elation. One might get tossed from a state of, let's say, unhappiness to happiness, or from a state of maybe strong doubt to a state of strong faith, and so on and so forth. The list is certainly could be very long. Now, being tossed from one opposite to the other has rather stabilizing and a rather stabilizing impact on the mind or a rather destabilizing impact on the mind. Destabilizing. There you go. And certainly so. It certainly then feels like being on a roller coaster, being thrown up and being thrown down. And certainly this certainly then manifests, or this we experience not only in the mind, but we also experience in the body. Namely, as a body that oftentimes is rather well volatile and certainly that keeps moving in this direction, that direction, and it's rather difficult to tame it. So it's only after having abandoned you know, fear and delight, and maybe by extension we can say other pairs of opposites, that gradually then the mind comes into the center. Now, the texts speak of fitness, six qualities that certain equanimity should certainly possess or that should be present when we meet certain formations with equanimity. And those certain qualities are as follows, and they're really some major, they mark major aspects. The first one is an absence, as we've seen, an absence of fear and certain delight. Then, secondly, one has, one sees pain and pleasure, namely again opposites with equanimity. The third certain aspect or quality is that the meditation usually takes certain place automatically and without any major effort. So especially without excessive effort. 
then uh, that state of uh, equanimity and meeting the formations lasts a, may last for a long period of uh, time. So at first, it may last uh, just for a couple of minutes, and uh, then one loses it, and then after a while one regains it, and then one loses it again, and then it lasts uh, maybe or when one regains it, it may last uh, for a little bit longer, maybe uh, 10, 15 uh, minutes, then one loses it again, and so uh, one regains it, and suddenly uh, this time it lasts uh, for uh, maybe half an hour and gradually uh, longer and uh, longer. So what we have here is a certain development that takes place over time. Now, as a meditator's sudden practice becomes or, or deepens, then another major change takes place, namely that, like in a miracle, one manages to sit for longer and longer hours. If previously it was extremely difficult to sit still for even an hour for 60 minutes, now to sit for an hour has become a piece of cake and one then can easily extend the sitting to two hours if not even three hours. And when getting up from the sitting, it may happen that suddenly the body feels like a rubber doll. And so there are no major pains and aches, no major discomfort. And one wonders, how is this possible? Earlier on, if one would have sat for three hours nonstop and then gotten up from the sitting, the body would have been full of pains and aches and one would have maybe barely managed to go into the walking meditation or do the transition into the walking walking meditation. So the meditation has a tendency to then last longer and longer and also there is another major change and does any one of you might know what this could be? So this is not an easy question. <laughs> No, in the practice. Uh, yes, Sadna Bill? One gets by with less sleep. Yes, okay, very good. What else? Well, I'll give you a hint. Uh, do form formations, obviously, formations do get coarser and coarser? Do they or do they not? Pardon me? Ah, they get more and more refined. And so we can say that refinement of uh, no, objects becomes another no, no, major no, characteristic or major no, feature. And the same thing no, then can also be said of the observing mind. This too no, becomes no, much more uh, refined. And subtleties um, in terms of objects that previously were not accessible to, you know, to the mind because it was so coarse, now you know, gradually you know, become you know, accessible. Now, the last you know, quality or you know, feature is certain, when meeting objects with certain equanimity is that our meditation is fixed and certain steady. And certain so yeah, there are no more major, no, no, well, no earthquakes no, 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 taking place. One, no, for the most part, no, doesn't certainly experience no, this situa no, situation of no, being no, no, in a dinghy, uh, in a no, no, really violent storm out no, on the ocean. And the mind is said to recoil. It recoils from what? Who knows? 
formations, yes. And uh, does it recoil from just a few formations or you know, from many? It tends to recoil from a greater you know, multiplicity of formations, a great multitude of footnote formations, and it just focuses on one object for a longer period of time. And so if early on in the practice there was a lot of Fudne action happening and suddenly the mind, our attention would go to this, or let's say our attention would observe one major object and then at the periphery also being aware of so many other objects, this suddenly then, this particular situation gradually changes and suddenly then where there were many objects to be observed, now there are just a few major objects and one you know, then focuses on one object or one stays, the mind stays with one you know, object for a longer you know, period of time. Now, for a better you know, understanding of you know, this of meeting objects with equanimity, a number of illustrations might help. Now, in Nepal, we are fortunate to have the highest mountain, namely Mount Everest. It's 8,848 meters high. And so, as so Mm, practicing meditation is certainly like uh, going on an Everest uh, expedition and certainly then attempting to scale Mount Everest. And certainly, so it takes a long you know, time, first of all, to get there, you know, to get to base camp, and certainly then you know, from you know, base camp to you know, the next uh, major you know, camp, it's uh, no, no, a number of steep and rough slopes are there. Just imagine no, a slope no, that is full of uh, no, no, gravel and certainly then you take three steps ahead and slide two steps back. Sometimes you feel you're not getting anywhere. Now, this slope represents a major difficulty and suddenly and, and then, however, sooner or later you manage to get to its very top and you're delighted to find a plateau there. Now, you manage to put one foot, just one single foot, onto this plateau, and then what happens? Then comes a, here comes a strong breeze and throws you off uh, the plateau. So here goes your you know, newly found uh, um, you know, foothold. Now, then you find yourself again on that same you know, slope of steep slope of and gravels, and suddenly then you have to do it all over again. You, you, know, you take a few steps ahead, you slide back down, you take some more steps ahead, etc. And eventually you manage to you know, reach the plateau for a second time. This time around you manage to get both of your feet onto it. And unfortunately, another breeze is a strong gust uh, is there to throw you off. Now, your spirit may weaken a little bit, but suddenly you've got your mindset on scaling Mount Everest. So eventually you make it back onto the plateau. This time you put both of your feet on, you manage to put both of your feet on it, and you manage even to walk and get off off the edge of the plateau, and suddenly then you're quite victorious or quite certainly pleased to have or to now be firmly based on this plateau. 
So, you know, from there, you, know, you have a wonderful you know, scenery, and uh, you know, this already you know, helps a lot to forget uh, all you know, the suffering events that you had to undergo in scaling the, you know, the, you know, this gravel slope. And so, you know, then, you know, let us assume there's also some fresh water there, and so, you know, so you know, there's a chance to rest and you know, recover. And so, and then, with renewed energy and an even stronger determination, you go for the final ascent, namely to the peak of Mount Everest. And then, if all the necessary conditions, like the weather and so on and so forth, are present and you are not suffering from some diarrhea, then you make it to the very top. Now, meditation practice is just like this. And so, in the meditation practice, we also have this gravel slope. And so, you know, some meditators spend um, days upon days on you know, this slope, advancing and so, you know, sliding back. And so, you know, then you know, we have, uh, you know, in meditation practice, we also have a uh, plateau. And how would you call it? What name would you give it? Equanimity. Ah, what about this? Equanimity Plateau. And so, a place where you know, equanimity is certainly well established, and certainly then you know, Mount Everest you know, then you know, compares to Mount Nibbana. And so eventually, you, know, you then make you know, the ascent to Mount Nibbana. Now, going up and Satna down, uh, this Satna plateau, uh, this Satna uh, rather steep but uh, slow, uh, could Satna uh, be uh, compared in another, or it uh, could be il illustrated in yet another uh, way, namely um, uh, as a yo yo. You could call it the yo yo effect. You will surely all know what a yo-yo is, namely it's a child's uh, you know, you know, toy you know, which uh, you know, then has a, you know, a band or string you know, uh, wrapped around it and you know, then you let go of it, it drops down, it comes back up, it drops back down and so on and so forth. Now, there is certainly yet another nice illustration for the lack of balance in one's practice or when things are stormy and certainly then also for the situation where things are rather stable. And so you may know what a top is. A top is yet another you know, toy, and certainly so you give it a certain momentum, a certain kinetic momentum, and certainly then when its momentum is rather strong, then what will its movement certainly be like? What will be its its position? Upright. There you go. And you know, once you know, the you know, top loses its certain momentum, then what happens? Then it starts wobbling. There you go. And the same thing may happen in the meditation practice, but not necessarily in this order, but just the other way around. So when, um, when our practice is certainly still lacking a certain momentum, then uh, much wobbling occurs. But you know, when the momentum it has become rather strong, you know, then you know, you know, everything will be rather stable and certain upright and uh, uh, <coughs> well balanced. Now, 
sometimes it's quite certainly helpful you know, to you know, understand um, you know, what is certainly happening in the meditation practice by way of you know, by way of an illustration, and the Visuddhimagga in you know, the you know, passage you know, cited you know, earlier on comes up with yet another nice example, namely that of water, a water drop that falls onto the onto a lotus leaf which is slightly slanted. And certainly so under normal circumstances when water would fall onto some other leaf, leaf of another plant, then it would probably stick to it and maybe disperse, but not so in the case of a drop of water falling onto a lotus leaf. And so first of all, the water will recoil, it will just condense, and then it may slide off the lotus leaf because the leaf has a waxy surface, waxen surface. And so, so in a similar way, when we meet formations with equanimity, nothing will stick to the mind anymore. The mind will not get, will not hitch anymore. And this then will be explained in a short while. Now, meditators who try to meet certain formations with equanimity may come across all sorts of difficulties and the list is actually quite certain long. So the first one has been mentioned already, namely that the practice goes up and down. Another common difficulty is certainly that the controlling faculties, the five controlling faculties of faith, of effort, of mindfulness, of concentration and wisdom, that these are not well balanced. Then yet another difficulty might certainly be a certain weakness, a relative weakness of those controlling faculties and also of the respective enlightenment factors. To put it differently, a meditator might feel that after a longer retreat of several months, he or she is gradually running out of steam. So one no longer has the physical and mental stamina or energy to move ahead. Now, another difficulty that might suddenly come up is suddenly that the mind is unfortunately still relatively impure. And the impurities that then will hinder a further development. Now, as suddenly mentioned or, or as pointed to earlier on, our mindfulness needs to be or our mindfulness is superficial rather than being really deep. And so as a result of this, a meditator when observing some predominant object will know the respective objects only in a superficial way and will not really know all those many tiny little details. Now, discontinuity of mindfulness itself may be a major uh, problem. And certainly then you will know from your own practice how um, at times you're, you're sitting there 
uh, here at the Forest Refuge in Barry, Massachusetts, and yet your mind is traveling ahead in ahead in time, and so it's going into the future. Or you're sitting here, and so then you remember something that happened 20 years ago on a different continent, and so. And so this then means that you're not really keyed into the present moment. And so this may also interfere with the practice. Now, can you think of other difficulties that might come up? Well, so if you sit in meditation with eyes closed and then you start your session with the following thought, um, maybe the attainment of Nibbana will happen during this very sitting. And then you go to observe your rise and fall and maybe five minutes of this, then the mind goes, oh, now the rise and fall has become rather refined. Maybe Nibbana is just around the corner. And so if your mind keeps expecting like this over and over and over again, nothing whatsoever will happen. Now, Another common you know, difficulty among you know, meditators is you know, that so, you know, they are under some time pressure. So their you know, the you know, date for you know, the return flight is coming up, and so, you know, then there are only you know, let's say eight days left, and so, you know, then you know, one you know, is already you know, counting days for it. Uh, for one has been counting days already for quite some you know, time. And, uh, <laughs> and then, and so when is this? When is this ever going to end? And so, and then, you know, one um, as the days, certain you know, the remaining days, certain gets less and less. You know, well, the pressure builds, and with a mind under pressure, nothing much will happen. And so the mind to function properly needs to be relaxed, needs to be alert, needs to be keyed into you know, the present you know, moment and does not want to be under time pressure. So whether you put it under time pressure or not, that's entirely up to you. And so um, th there are people who manage, who handle this, uh, you know, this particular situation really well. You know, they you know, reflect uh, wisely, you know, saying, you know, well, mm, mm, however far I get in the practice, it will be okay with me, and uh, I'll give my very best, and the results, the, uh, as for the outcome, I'll just accept what uh, happens. But then you know, we have these highly competitive, goal-oriented, uh, high achievers who you know, have planned out everything, and suddenly they know, okay, by day so-and-so, they should be at a certain point, and then you know, 10 days later, they should be even further in the practice. And suddenly, you know, by the last day of the retreat, well, the peace of Nibbana should suddenly then descend on them, according to plan. <laughs> but whether this is going to happen or not remains to be seen. And suddenly then, uh, what suddenly else? When dealing with difficult certain mental states, so especially unwholesome mental states, and in particular the hindrances, one might get certain all caught up in them, and certain one might get entangled in them, and so. Difficult mental states such, you know, such as you know, greed might still arise and you know, anger may on occasion come up, sloth and torpor may you know, get such, you know, the upper hand, you might be overcome by restlessness and such you know, worry, and such, you know, then you know, sometimes such, you know, skeptical doubts so, you know, could such, you know, pose as a major you know, difficulty.
another point, another difficulty could certainly be that certain one gets certain totally carried away by a wandering mind. And certainly, so by this time, or at this point, certainly in the practice, the mind is so sharp that usually it can spot a thought that is in the process of emerging and hasn't even fully unfolded yet. Now, there have been meditators in the past who uh, lacked a certain sharpness of foot near the mind. And so, you know, the, in, in their case, or in, in those cases, the mind was somewhat dull. And certain, this certain, is certain a real hindrance. And so, if one finds that one's own mind is dull for whatever reasons, then one really needs to work on this and certainly then get one's own mind into shape. There may also be meditators who are so delighted that finally, again, some wholesome mental states arise like joy and calmness and some, um, also some equanimity and good mindfulness is there, etc., that they get totally attached to these states. When, in fact, the instruction is to observe whatever predominant object comes up, whether it is desirable or undesirable, it doesn't matter. Then we have those meditators who may be quite eager to gain the Dhamma, yet they are their greatest own enemies, and they do things like what? Yes, that would be one possibility. Stay up all night. And uh, anything else? What's that? Read book. Oh, read books. That's it, indeed. Read books and uh, read books and uh, then you know, think about what uh, you know, think a lot about what has been you know, read and certainly uh, maybe you know, remember a friend and uh, you know, then start you know, writing a letter and to have this ready for you know, the departure you know, date so that it can be put into the mailbox um, or meditators who distract themselves maybe by wanting to offer medical services to fellow meditators. Like, let's say you happen to be a specialist in acupuncture and you feel quite a number of your fellow yogis have some major health problems <laughs> and they really need to come to your health, home mobile health clinic. And so, and so, if you practice like this, and after you know, once you know, that once you've closed you know, your mobile clinic for the day, and then you go back to intensive practice, well, uh, the, the, the momentum is ruined. Now. When it comes to you know, the realization of uh, Nibbana, uh, can we force it? Like, uh, you know, we, can we force it? Can we force it? Can we make it happen by you know, sheer willpower? Huh? Jim, what do you think? Okay, that's a good answer, wise answer. So, now, these are you know, the you know, various, uh, you know, some of the you know, difficulties that uh, might you know, come up when we you know, try to you know, meet certain you know, objects with, or formations with equanimity. And you know, so, if I were to just give you, you know, the you know, difficulties and say, okay, that's it for today, and you, know, you then say, sadhu, sadhu, you might not be all that pleased. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and certain so answers certain also need to be then given. Now, 
if the problem is certainly that you're not certainly really or you haven't really seen formations deeply in terms of Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta, then you really need to do this. And so at least once in a while, when a predominant object is there, you need to know whether you are seeing it in the mode of Anicca or in the mode of Dukkha or in the mode of Anatta, just to get some skills in this, just to gain some knowledge in this. Now, um, when we sit in meditation or we do our walking meditation and then we observe the respective uh, no, objects and uh, you know, the mental commentator goes, oh, my pain is just doing this. Oh, you know, my the hardness in my buttocks is suddenly doing that. Oh, now I am thinking, etc., etc. Then um, there seems to be too much I there in the picture. And so too much referencing, too much identification with these various formations as I or mine. And so so if uh, this is happening, then one needs one needs to make a big effort to let go of any kind of identification. And in the end, these are not my formations, but just formations. So it's a pain and not my pain, and it's hardness in the buttocks and not my hardness, etc., etc. Now. If the difficulty lies in a discontinuity of mindfulness, obviously we want to work on its continuity. And then, in terms of the various mental factors that need to be present, we need to ensure or at least we need to be in a position to spot what is certain what. And so when mindfulness is there, we need to know, okay, that mindfulness is present. Or we need to know whether intuitive knowledge is arising, we're knowing something about an object or not. And certainly then, how are we doing in terms of effort? Is effort uh, present uh, or not? And uh, if it's present, is it excessive or not? Then, how are we doing in terms of, um, or uh, when uh, joy and rapture comes up, then uh, we need to uh, be able to uh, spot it and uh, know it. The same thing goes for other mental factors such as tranquility, basadi, such as concentration, samadhi, such as equanimity, such as faith, and then also on occasion perception itself, sanya, that might be in the foreground and then we need to know this. Now, the advice certainly given in the text with regards to how to ensure the arising of the enlightenment certain factor of equanimity, well, the answer to this is as follows. And I'm quoting from the 46 Samyutas of 46 collection. Um, Sutta 51. There are bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, and lay meditators, things that are the basis for uh, enlightenment, for the enlightenment factor of equanimity. Frequently giving careful attention to them is the nutriment for it near the arising of the unarisen enlightenment factor of equanimity and for the fulfillment by near development of the arisen enlightenment factor of uh, equanimity. So, just as an example, 
if footnote, we keep inclining the mind under all circumstances towards a balanced you know, reception of the object or dealing you know, with the object, then more and more you know, equanimity as an enlightenment factor will uh, arise. Or if we notice that much reactivity is certainly present and present in the mind, and we then work on abandoning this certain reactivity, this in turn may help to then strengthen the enlightenment factor of equanimity. Now, when the controlling faculties are out of balance, then this needs to be recognized as early as possible. And then with the help of mindfulness, we then need to bring them back into balance. And so if effort is excessive and we get all restless, we need to step back a little bit. Or if our effort becomes somewhat slack, and so, you know, then maybe even some laziness comes in, you know, then you know, we need to work on this, we need to boost you know, the uh, effort. And so, you know, then if, you know, for instance, the mind, or if, for instance, concentration is present, but uh, it is excessive, you know, then, um, and you know, the mind is glued to an object, but there is uh, uh, no you know, knowing of you know, the object's nature, then you know, we need to maybe back off a little bit. And uh, the result of uh, excessive concentration comes in the form of fitness sleepiness. And in the case of uh, a lack in concentration, then the mind will be distracted, and so then we need to work on well, on unifying the mind. Now, should as a meditator, should you be running out of fitness steam and you don't have the energy to go on anymore, at least subjectively it seems that way, then you'll have to check. You'll have to check whether this is absolutely practice related and it could be at an earlier stage in the practice one does certainly feel pretty exhausted. And if then one's own practice moves ahead, everything changes and the energy is back. And one has more energy available than ever before. Now, other ways of, if it's not practice related, then one might certainly consider maybe eating a little bit more or taking multivitamin tablets, etc. Now, when one finds that one's mind is rather uh, impure, then it's high, it would be high time to well, uh, work on its certain purity. And every time some uh, impure mental state arises, then to spot it and let go of it. So with time pressure, you know, we've dealt with already earlier on, expectations or any form of anticipation, hopes, desires, you know, and so, you know, setting goals for you know, one's certain practice are to be given up on the spot. And just a practical you know, detail here, um, a quarter of an expecting sentence uh, arising in the mind is already enough you know, to you know, you know, cause you know, possibly uh, uh, the collapse of uh, your practice. And then you, know, you may have to build it up all again. Now, 
when mm, difficult, unwholesome mental states certainly come up in our stream of certain consciousness, then it's important not to identify you know, with them and certain to be mindful of them you know, from moment to moment to moment as much as certainly possible and certainly then you know, to observe them with as much non-reactivity or equanimity as certainly possible. And gradually, our skill to deal with these unwholesome mental states will increase and we will know, okay, these are factors that I've experienced already in the past, there's nothing new, and I'm not going to get stuck in these states. And that then might help to let go of them. Now, should our equanimity be weak, and this certainly may easily happen, it's maybe not fully developed yet, then the answer is very simple, namely just to go on with one's practice and gradually more and more equanimity will arise, it gets stronger. So there are quite a number of things happen quite naturally there when you're mindful of whatever predominant object arises, then everything else will fall into places. Now, let me conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk by wishing. May all of you develop in the course of Satna time, or may all of you meet formations, physical and mental formations, with more and more equanimity. May you also meet formations outside of formations in certain various certain conditions outside of a retreat with an increasing degree of equanimity and may this certainly then pave the road for the final ascent of Mount Nibbana and may it happen during this very retreat or maybe during some other retreat in the near future. And this is it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.